Are you listening to the award-winning CBJRadio.com yet? 28 different shows, over 55 hours of new programming every week. Shows range from hip-hop, to rock, to all independent artists, to hair rock, a Friday night request show, and many more. Get yourself a CBJ Radio t-shirt and make CBJRadio.com the only internet radio station you listen to. All my friends, all my friends, all my friends with Justin Flaskerud. All my friends, all my friends, all my friends with Justin Flaskerud. friends. How you doing? I hope all is well in your worlds. No drama and you're just living your best life. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast, this interview. And if you haven't listened to all the episodes yet, please do. My friends have lived such great and interesting lives and you will be very, very entertained as well. Now folks, I'm thinking about getting some sponsors for this show. What do you think about that? Now I know you're probably talking to your phone, your car stereo, your computer right now, and uh, I can't hear you, you know? But you can let me know via my Facebook page, All My Friends with Justin Flaskrude, what you think about that. If you don't have Facebook and you're on social media, I got social media, I'll let you know what I have at the end of the show. You can PM me or DM me on social media and let me know if you wanna be a sponsor for this show. I'm sure we can work something out and I can get your business on the show to sponsor the show, you know, for a nominal fee or something like that. All right, folks, today's guest is Bridget Bowes. And I was totally blown away by all the accomplishments that Bridget has achieved in the theater and dance world. And I'm sure there are many, many more to come. If you're a fan or you're interested in theater and dance, this episode is for you. I'm so excited, folks. Let's get to the interview. My family is from uh, the Chicago area. So I was born and raised in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, But when I was about 10, we moved to the Denver area. Um, So my parents still live in Colorado. Um, I still call Colorado home. That's where I graduated from high school. But every once in a while, someone will, someone will be like that, that accent or that attitude. That's not, that's not Colorado. And I'm like, oh, you're right. It's, there's some Chicago in there. So I kind of feel like it's a two-part answer. Um, so I, at that age, were you really ready to move? <laughs> um, you know, okay, so my my dad always loved Colorado. He was like very um my parent my parents are very interesting. They are what I call um liberal Catholics. So like Irish Catholic and Polish Catholic from Chicago, but very liberal thinking. Um 
for the most part. So I had this like pretty strict like Catholic upbringing that was also very like politically liberal. Um, but my dad, when he was younger, um, did the like 60s thing where he like got in a van and like drove to Colorado and like skied with John Denver and shit. Oh, wow. And um, uh, ooh, sorry, I'm going to take a little pause. Cursing, acceptable? Yep, definitely. I will probably curse. <laughs> I do give people the the warning. It says explicit content, but okay. that seems a bit overkill now that you can swear on cable. So yeah, go on. Yeah. Okay, cool. cool. <laughs> um, yeah, so my, my dad has these great stories of like literally like driving across America and like being refused service in Nebraska because he had long hair and was wearing like a suede fringe jacket and like oh, wow. really like uh, those like authentic like hippie stories. And um, both of my parents are very blue collar. My dad is um, an electrician, a very specialized electrician. My mom is uh, or was a teacher. They're both retired. Um, but basically my dad always just loved Colorado, like kind of resented Chicago in some ways and loved Colorado. And it was always his goal before he met my mom to like get to Colorado. And he, when he was in his twenties, bought this parcel of land in like a very remote, like wilderness part of Colorado. And that's like remains and still is kind of his like American dream. So even after he married my mom and we, me and my brother came into the picture when he had kids, it was still always he wanted to get to Colorado. And he had bought this piece of land with his brother, uh, my uncle. And when I was like five, my aunt, uncle, and my five cousins, who I was very closest, we lived like a mile, a couple of miles from each other. They moved to Colorado. Oh. My uncle had like gotten a job transfer to move to Colorado. And so I, I feel like it was like, we, we would visit often. We'd drive, drive across America in the summertime and things and visit them. And I think it was just always like a push to get to Colorado. Um, so even at a young age, like I remember like geographically and culturally the differences between Chicago and Colorado. Um, and my cousins were there and I like loved my cousins. So at 10 years old, I was sad to leave some of my like friends and, and family in Chicago for sure. But it was also very exciting to me because I, I think even at a young age, I could see the like promise and opportunity in Colorado that my, my dad had always dreamed of. Um, and, you know, moving, moving at that age, it is a little tricky. Um, but I can, I can look back at it now and know that my life was way better because we moved at that time. Um, like I, a lot of the people who I grew up with in Chicago, I can look at some of their lives and just be really grateful for the opportunities that I had because we moved. Um, and the, I, I, I do tell a funny story that one of the things that I found challenging about moving is so I moved um, right before fifth grade. So I had one year of elementary school and then I went to middle school and my middle school was gigantic, like thousands of students, like like you would see in like 90s movies and like California campuses, just like tons of kids. Like it was like that, it was really big. Um, and right away, you know, I people would be like, you have an accent. 
And I'd be like, I don't have an accent at all. And like, I learned right away that like, if I was going to like fit in here and make friends, I needed to like switch that. And so I did, like, I don't really feel like I have that Midwest accent anymore. It does sneak out from time to time. Um, uh, Like if I am heavily under the influence or talking to aunts and uncles, or if I visit Chicago for whatever reason, it'll, it'll still like slip out. But that, um, I think that age around like your early middle school, early teen years, like your brain is still very adaptable. Um, and I, I, again, I'm glad we moved when we did because I think any later it would have been harder. Um, now that being said, I, I've always been a very small person. I have always looked much younger than my actual age, which is great in adult life. Um, pretty challenging in my teen years. Um, so I was very like nerdy, late bloomer. Didn't it was it was hard for me to make friends. Um, I went to the same school as my cousins, and they were like for 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 a period there was a small period there that they were like too cool for me like we didn't like talk in school like we would hang out at like church and barbecues and family stuff but like we didn't talk we weren't friends in school you know and that was only really in middle school by the time we got to high school we all like we're like yeah we're all related and don't you wish you were too (laughs) um you spoke uh your family was all from the chicago area like are your parents like were they like native Illinoisans, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, my, yeah, my both of them born and raised um, in the Chicago area. My okay. mom was like born inner city Chicago. Like, oh wow! I think they were something like seven people in a two bedroom apartment for most of her life, um, wow. and then they moved to um, when when my mom was a teenager. They moved to the suburbs of Chicago. Um, my dad grew up in that suburb of Chicago. It's called Park Forest. Um, in the 60s, it was like the town of America or something okay. like that. I, I don't think that's really a thing anymore. Be, <laughs> you know, very like, um, all, all I can think of is like Stepford Wives, you know, like very ideal, like, like suburban kind of. It was one of the first suburbs in America. Um, and my my busha and my grandpa so that's my my polish grandma my busha um they bought one of the first houses in this town park forest um and so my dad lived there his whole life and my busha lived in that house until we moved to colorado she moved with us and the house that i grew up in was a block away from there so it was very much like that show everybody loves raymond like that show like really (laughs) hit home for me in a lot of ways that I was like, that's my family. Um, but uh, it's amazing to have like the family goal and, and you did pack up the family, like Beverly Hillbillies moved to Colorado. And yeah. uh, I mean, I moved from a suburb of Portland, Oregon to Laramie, Wyoming when I was 13. Okay. And, uh, it did not go well in my life. I was not happy to move um at all um but like as you said like i watched the trajectory of my friends and they all end up moving but a lot of them that stayed there my closer ones moved away but a lot of the ones that stayed i was like my life would be so different if i didn't move to laramie wyoming and i probably hate it for the good first four years um and then my senior year of high school 
made up for it. Easier classes, serious girlfriend, all that stuff. Varsity football player. And so, but yet it was, it, I mean, it was a long time that before I was like, all right, I like Laramie. And that took me moving away. I moved to New York, Long Island for a little while. Yeah, I lived oh. uh, in Huntington, worked at News 12 Long Island. And oh, cool. uh, the accent, uh, the only word that really stuck with me was Long Island. And if I'm not thinking about it, it comes out Long Island. Yeah. The only word. That's the only word. Yeah. But yet I got, I people made fun of me because I said pop. So that quickly changed to soda. And mm-hmm. I will tell you about this, New Yorkers. Uh, there's only one island and there's only one city in the world. It's Long Island and New York City. I There are so many other cities and islands in the world that deserve the respect, but that's yep. the New Yorker mentality. And then it was always like um, Yankees, Mets. And I'd gone to New York as a Yankees fan. So um, it was Yankees. And then they're like Jets, Giants. And I was like, I don't really care about your teams. Jets, because they're on Long Island and we got to cover them every once in a while for News 12. Um, I already had a basketball team. I'm a Niners fan, so I really cared less about about New York sports, but, um, and then basketball, I'm a trailblazer fan because that's our true home team from Portland. And so do you, did you take all your Chicago teams with you to Denver or Um, did you saddle up with the local culture? That's (laughs) a really good question. I think initially, yes, I, I, I think we kind of kept both, but if I'm, if I'm being truly honest like that was just kind of like family and i was still a kid yeah um i am very much a performing artist and as an adult when people ask me like what's your team i'm i say broadway um (laughs) or like oh did you hear about such and such quarterback and i will always respond with you know i did actually see the principal ballerina from the mariansky do her retirement tour did you see that okay then we have different interests (laughs) um now, that being said, um, I, so my, my dad is a huge hockey fan, loves right. hockey. Yeah. Like my dad played, my uncle, my brother, my cousin, they all played hockey. I feel like I spent as much time on an ice rink as I did in the theater growing up. Um, and uh, honestly, I, I learned to skate as soon as I could walk. And fast forward in my professional performing career, like that booked me jobs. It nice. was booked me jobs being able to skate and and ski. So um nice. so my dad was a was a Blackhawks fan. Okay. We would joke that my brother and one of my cousins are alive because of the Blackhawks like won a playoff game one <laughs> night and they were celebrating with my mom and my my aunt. And there's another really hilarious story that um when i was born my parents had to financially make the decision to keep their season tickets to the blackhawks or buy me diapers and so they did fabric diapers and washed my diapers so they could keep their tickets nice um so and and i think they were they were definitely bears fans too they kind of did that like tailgating for the bears oh, yeah. um, we were from the south side so technically should be Sox fans, but my Boucha was like the most diehard Cubs fan ever, like ever. Remember when that dude reached out and grabbed the ball during the playoffs? Yep, yep. Like I, I was in college in Laramie and I remember I like called, I was in the dorms and I like called my mom. I was like, somebody go check on Boucha. Like oh, somebody yeah. go check on her. Is she okay? <laughs> um, Heartbreaking. So, 
I, I still like feel a little bit of like nostalgia and like loyalty and like when those teams do well it like does I do feel happy about it I wouldn't call myself a fan I don't think that's fair like I, I wouldn't buy tickets I almost said to go see their shows um, <laughs> they wear great costumes um, <laughs> you know they do they have great pants I will say yeah, that there you go uh I I mean I love sports and everything but um a lot of people know me as a music guy and so I have a lot of friends that are just music people and so I might say something sports and they're like I have no idea what you're talking about and they go sometimes I forget like you were like a full-time jock in like high school and stuff and I was like yeah I'm cool enough that I could slide into music like that I guess um but I, uh, you know, I always tell the people that aren't into sports, I was like, you probably live a longer life, not putting that stress on you about something you have no control over besides yeah. just enjoying the game. And there were times in my life I was a super fan and I'm definitely, as I've gotten older, I still love the sports I love, but I'm not as like, you know, the day is not over because my team lost, like life continues and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I took all my sports teams from, you know, where I grew up. My my grandmother really hated me for a little while because she's a big old Mariners fan and I'm a Yankees fan. And she couldn't believe that I was a Yankees fan. And so she's like, I'm not talking to you right now. And I was like, sorry, my team's really good, Grandma. You know, okay. um, after I graduated college, I moved to New York. And by that point, my all of my grandparents had passed away yeah but there are still people in chicago like friends and family who are like grossly offended if i go to a yankees game oh yeah like talk so much shit on social media about like oh sir you must be a yankees fan now how could you just turn your back on the cubs and i'm like i was not i'm i'm not a fan like i'm i'm a fair weather fan at best and i and just there for like the scene and the culture and the vibe. Access. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Literally, if you could, if you were close enough to go to a Cubs game and a Yankees game, which is, you know, not possible, you'd choose the Cubs game. Like yeah. for the atmosphere. I mean, that, that just, yeah. I mean, that just because you had a Yankee game doesn't make you a Yankee fan. Um, one time I was wearing my Yankees jersey playing blackjack in Vegas and I could feel this guy staring at me and I look up. And he's coming around the room and he comes up next to me to tell me how bad the Yankees suck. And I was like, I was like, wow, man, uh, you hate winning. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, like, 26 world championships can't be wrong. And usually I'm pretty controlled with that kind of stuff. But I was like, he went out of his way. Yeah. Talk shit on my team. And I was just like, okay, I got you. That's crazy how sports fans get. And right. um, like we had Rockies game. We had some Rockies fans get in our face because we were Yankees stuff. And the Rockies won the game. So I was <laughs> like, hey, you know, good, good job, Rockies. Why you got to talk shit to me right now? Like, yeah. and yeah. so just fandom is, is very interesting to me because you have no outcome. Like you have no part of it. Yeah. You Maybe the loud fans kind of can help, but really nothing nothing yeah um so you moved to colorado and and you said you have a sibling is a younger older sibling Mm -hmm. i have um one younger brother he is a little more than a year younger than me so Uh we kind of like fall into that irish twins 
situation. Yeah. Um, when we were young, people thought we were twins all the time. We, we actually used to play that to our advantage. Like we'd go out for one person's birthday and the like server or somebody would be like, are you twins? And we'd be like, yep. Yep, we both are. Mm -hmm. Today's both of our birthdays. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, um, so you're, obviously you're very close, but yeah. were you like, I'm the older sister? Um, what what I think is cool is cool. Like, um, not really. You know, we we've had very much, and I I noticed this in some of my other family members where there's like two cousins or you know two siblings oh yeah we're a very like hot and cold relationship like we go through these like peaks and valleys of like best friends like click in a way that nobody else can and then like mortal enemies like what did you say to me don't look at me oh, <laughs> no. and so and it it sort of has gone on kind of like a 10 year ish cycle like when we were really young best friends inseparable when we moved to Colorado and like middle school, high school years, total opposites, like couldn't stand each other. Um, college years became close again, became friends. I moved to the East coast, the distance kind of separated us. Um, so, it, you know, it, it kind of sibling relationships can be complicated. I think all family relationships can be. Um, I, I will say that I, I joke, but I'm pretty, I am serious about it that I'm, I'm glad I have just one brother. Um, again, this one side of my family, there's five cousins and four are girls and they just have drama for no reason, like at weddings and bachelorette parties and things. And I learned long ago that I was like, man, I'm lucky. It's just me and Tom. Like, that's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, and you know, it, it I am also very grateful as my parents are retired and starting to age some needing surgeries and stuff like Tom still lives in Colorado and like really helps them out. And so like, I'm grateful for that, you know, and, yeah. um, and yeah, so, um, that's cool. I, I, yeah, I, I have three sisters, uh, one oh. stepsister. Yeah. Now I'm the only boy. Uh, one stepsister, my parents divorced when I was like six and, uh, they're with, uh, my step parents, they've been with since the divorce. Like, I've known my step parents longer than I know my parents married. And so they, they're, you know, they got some good people in their lives. And then uh, my younger sister, she is my stepmom, my stepdad, and mom's child. So um, in one family, I'm always the only boy. One side, I'm a middle. No, I'm a baby. That's my dad's sign. Uh, I have a stepsister that's like four years older than me. My older sister, six years older than me. And then on my mom's side of the family, I'm a middle, uh, a, a sister that's 11 years younger than me. And then my oldest wow. sister, six years. Yeah. Wow. And uh, I kind of got my own childhood and all that. Um, being the only boy. Uh, yes. And then my sisters always say stuff like, well, you're the favorite. And I'm like, because I don't argue with them like you do. <laughs> like, our mom raised you to be an independent woman and you are and those clash because she is too. So um, they're like, you're the fan. And I was like, I, I don't know. I, and my mom will never admit it um, out loud or anything like that to that, to my siblings. Cause they'll be like, I knew it. And, yeah. uh, and I'm like, it's just a different thing. You know, mo mothers and son, I mean, mothers and sons, daughters and 
I mean, with my dad and I, you know, it's that um, you look for different kind of relationships we have with their dad. And so as a guy, uh, it's very similar to, you know, women and their daughters. And so um, my older sister in Oregon, she was great at everything. Um, academics, athletics, uh, awesome. So when I came along, I was not Justin. I was Rochelle's little brother. That was who I was known for for a long time. And I love my older sister. But I was like, um, yeah, my own person, all that. And um, so, like, she was the first rude. Her her nickname, yeah, from a coach, that our track coach. Um, nobody can say flask rude. It's just hard to spit out. So everybody shorts to rude. And she was it at first. And then I had the coach as a football coach. And he was like, oh, you're Rude's little brother. You're now Rude. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Yeah. And, um, but then I moved to Wyoming. No shadow. Nobody ever heard of Rochelle Flaskery. Like I was, had my own life to live. And Rude built organically by my sophomore year of high school. Like friends just started calling me that. And, um that, yeah that's where the nickname stuck for from then on um there'll be people i went to school with and they'll be like can i call you rude and i'm like yeah it's all good i don't mind I'm like i'm dj rude still and yeah i have a tattoo of it yeah i'm good with it oh, and uh, and some people are just like rude are you really rude i'm like quite the opposite but um <laughs> exactly. uh, but and then because the, they'll like i'll be introduced at like gatherings or something but like this is my friend justin and then the whole place calls me rude and people are like why are they calling you rude and i'm like it's probably my last name i probably should introduce my myself that way and <laughs> but i don't know how it's going to go over and even at work it would slide into calling me rude like people that got to know me and it, interesting but um but i was that quintessential middle child of look at me look at me <laughs> and, um i realize it much later in life and Hey, I'm different than my sister. She's really cool, but I'm a different person. And now we're all spread out. My stepsister lives in Washington, really close to my dad and stepmom. And that's good. Like you said, you got, you know, it's nice to have your little brother back in Denver. And my step, my little sister lives in Las Vegas where my mom and stepdad live. So that's good. Um, my little sister lives down in Texas. I live in Wyoming. Um, we're on the West, so we can quickly make it to our parents, but um i when my little sister moved to vegas i went you're the one and she's like what and i go if there's health issues you know you're the one that's going to be there first thank yeah. you they're all able-bodied knock on wood and everything but i was like they're all good right now but you're the one you know and she's oh. like oh man i never really thought about that and i was like yeah. <laughs> it's you love being close to your mom our mom but um yeah you're the one and she's yeah. like okay pressure i was like hey we don't have to think about it for a while and yeah. uh but it's always nice to have those siblings back home just in case you know yeah. uh, while you're out exploring the world exactly. and everything so growing in colorado you care less about sports mm -hmm. performer when did you start performing so i like again like as soon as i could walk i think this was something that my mom growing up in the city, she was the youngest of five siblings. Um, her parents were like retired when she was in school oh, age. Wow. Um, and 
I think it's something that she always enjoyed, like the performing arts and music. And um, I think I, I think I remember her telling stories of like her older brother, like taking her and her sisters to like the live theater, you know, like cheapo matinees in Chicago or something like that. And so I think it's something that she always wanted in her life and didn't, un unfortunately, didn't have access to. So when I was young, she almost right away put me in like baby ballet classes. Um, so I think four years old was my first dance class. Um, loved it, immediately loved it. By eight years old, I was taking jazz dance as well, had added jazz in, loved jazz. Like immediately was like, this is my jam, love this. Um, all of those classes when I was in Chicago were in like, rec center like abandoned school linoleum peeling floors kind of situation um i really loved my teachers miss carol was my first teacher and then miss Teresa um was my second teacher and both of them were like i said like you know just pull out the ballet bars in the middle of a school gym on a tuesday night kind of situation um but they still inspired me like it was it was still the the building blocks right like we would have like recitals or showcases and you know I, I was learning the steps and the building blocks in ballet um and then when we moved to Colorado I also played t-ball okay. and softball in Chicago um again I think like baseball is a bigger culture there than okay. it is in yeah. other cities so um and my mom had played baseball in her like college and adult years like recreationally so it, it was just kind of like part of the vibe mm -hmm. uh, all the kids i went to school with played in this same like summer league um i was bad i was so so bad like i knew i knew at a very young age that i was bad at sports like i'd be the kid like out like playing with the flowers like <laughs> have to like stop the game because i would need to go and pee like it was i it was clear that i was there for the social interaction mm -hmm. like not the athletics of it um so when we moved to colorado um i was older and we kind of looked into softball at, at at first and it was clear that it was like the stakes were higher and oh. I was like not that was not gonna be the fit for me um but I did find a dance studio there was a dance studio that was like close to my home called Miller's Dance Studio and um I started taking classes there and that was more like studio feel like you showed up there were like bars on the wall on the walls and wood floors and or sometimes marley floors and mirrors and like it was it seemed it was more structured i would say maybe a little more discipline um and definitely a higher production value when it came time for like recital time so um i loved that i was psyched like awesome costumes like picture day like they had many more classes to offer. So I started taking tap dance and lyrical and hip hop. And then there were different kinds of ballet. I would take like regular ballet and partnering ballet. And I did that all through high school at my dance studio. Um, and I'll, I'll loop back to this, but that is where I met my still current bestie, ride or die, um, Andrea Palish. We met at the dance studio in ballet class um, and just like instantly clicked and life has kept us together, which I will again, circle back to, but, um, 
while I was doing that outside of school, that was my extracurricular. Again, as I mentioned, my schools were huge. And my when I got to high school, in middle school, we had musicals. We had school musicals, which I auditioned for, and I made the musicals. And we also had choir class. I could take choir class like as part of my day. And in Chicago, I went to a small private Catholic school, and we didn't have any of that. So when I switched to this big public school, I was like psyched to get that kind of like music and performance. And I just loved it. Like I just always performers say this all the time, but like, and as cheesy as it is, I just like, it just felt like home. Like I felt comfortable there. Like that's where I was supposed to be. And, um, I was in all the musicals in middle school, went to high school, um, again, auditioned for the choirs, made the choirs as, school you know throughout my four years of high school i got better and better um i would do not not quite all state choir but i was in the like competitive choirs like we would go to competitions and we'd slay like we'd crush everybody we'd take all the trophies like um we got invited my senior year to perform at what what's called cmea which is like in choir and performing arts that's like the equivalent of going to state like they asked like one high school choir to come and perform and it was us and so um so we got i got that like music background we had highly well-produced shows um musicals after school like you would audition for those and be in them after school and i had a handful of like supporting and leading roles in those um and then was also at the dance studio. So I, I was starting to live in my teenage years, this like kind of conservatory esque, like adjacent life. Um, I, we also had a full dance company at my school. When I was 16, I auditioned, I made the dance company. Um, I was choreographing my own dances, casting people, designing costumes and lights, like producing my own numbers, um, which is just now as an adult unheard of like that, just like, is so rare and I'm very, very lucky for that. Shout out to Jan Justice. She was my my dance company teacher and she usually didn't let people into dance company until they were juniors or seniors, but she saw that I was like so dedicated and really wanted to be there. So she put me in as a sophomore. Um, my audition dance was to Destiny's Child, uh, Say My Name. Nice. Nice. Uh, nice. So that was like, that was one of, definitely that was one of the first moments when Miss Justice put me into dance company that someone believed in me. Like I loved the arts, but I was never the best kid. I was never the leading kid. Um, And like Jan Justice was one of those first times where I was like, ah, she thinks I'm good. Like I'm good enough to be here. She wouldn't, she wouldn't put me here if I wasn't good enough to be here. So then kind of transitioning into college, um, I also was like such a goody goody, like straight A student, like high achiever, like um, loved, loved school, good at school, have always still continue to be told that I'm too smart for my own good, um, which is kind of bullshit, but um, I'm, (laughs) I I do consider myself to be quite intelligent. So when it was time to look at colleges, I sort of academically, I could have picked anywhere. I could could have gone to any school in America, like Ivy League, 
and anything, you know, state school, anything in between. But my parents didn't, you know, with their blue collar jobs, like hadn't saved money for me to go to college. Uh My dad didn't go to college. He went to a trade school. My mom went to college to become a teacher, but she had a lot of financial assistance because my dad or my grandpa was retired. And so she got there, there were like government grants or something for that. Um, and he was in the military and things. So, um, so I, I knew in high school that I was going to have to like pay for college and work, work, work my way through college. Um, you know, I, I started working when I was like 13 babysitting, um, uh, my mom was a special ed teacher, so I worked in the school district as like a teacher's assistant. I babysat as a nanny for a lot of kids with special needs, which was really amazing because I was making good money doing that. Like, you know, my friends were making like $5 an hour at coffee shops and I was making like $20 an hour to like help autistic children learn to read, you know? Okay. So, um, so again, I'll circle back to that, but that was an opportunity that I had in Colorado that definitely made my, has in my adult life continues to like help me succeed. Um, so it came time to choose a college and I was pretty overwhelmed with this. I knew I wanted to dance. I, I loved dancing. I still wanted to dance. I still didn't believe necessarily that I was good enough. Um, I auditioned for a number of programs. I auditioned at like UNLV um, and I got accepted into their program. I can't remember. There were were maybe like three or five schools that I like went to visit and I auditioned for and I got in, but they weren't the right fit. Um, UNLV, for example, has an excellent like jazz and commercial dance program. And I took one of their like mid-level jazz classes as an audition and it was really hard. Like it was really hard. And I was like, okay, like I could learn stuff here. Like awesome. Um, and of course there's show like showbiz resides in Las Vegas. That's, that's a city where there's opportunities for that. Um, then the second class that was part of my audition was a ballet class. And it was like stuff that I was like learning in like middle school. And so I was like, I can't, I can't like backslide on that knowledge, you know, to like then increase one, one skill versus the other. So I think it was, I, I like waited a long time to make a decision about college and it, it was really hard for me. I wasn't sure what the, the right choice was. And even after my like first semester of college, I thought I might transfer to, um, University of Utah has an absurdly good dance program. Um, and in fact, many of my college professors in Wyoming came from that program. Um, so I went to Wyoming, um, again, I auditioned and they were like, yes, come join our program. And I went there as an education major and a dance minor. Again, I didn't think that I was going to be a dancer or a performer. I didn't, I didn't, believe that I was good enough. Um, and after my, so my first semester, I auditioned for the musical that the theater and dance department was producing and I didn't make it. And I was a little, a little bit crushed by that, but I was like, you know what, this is college. Like I'll find somewhere else. I'll find, find my people. Um, I was out of state, which I enjoyed. I wanted to meet new people. I wanted to like make, make my adult life like my own. Um, 
And Wyoming was a great place for that. Everybody's very friendly. And all of a sudden, my like late bloomer self was really cool. Like everybody in Wyoming was like, oh my God, you're from Denver. Awesome. <laughs> and like that was that was a big change for me, um, like socially and and emotionally and mentally. Um and so I was um in the dorms and on my floor, there was this girl, Dina, who I had kind of made friends with at orientation, and she was on the wildfire dance team. And so when I didn't make the musical at like right the beginning of, you know, first semester of college, she was like, well, you're, you're, you're a dancer, right? Like, and you're from Denver. Like, why don't you come out for the dance team? Like we, we've been practicing all summer. Like I've, you know, but I think you're probably good enough. Like come to a practice and we'll see if you can be on the team. And sure enough, they were like, yes, you're great. Be on the team. And so my first year at, at Wyoming, I was on um, the dance team. Wildfire. Yeah. Yeah. And I was uh so that I, you know, I was an NCAA athlete. Like I trained in the yeah. in the gyms with all of the basketball players and the football players. And again, this was making me like really cool. Like people knew who I was, you know, and like I'd go to my classes and people would be like, I know you. I recognize you. You wear those pants with the pom-poms. I'd be like, yes, I do wear the pants with the pom-poms. Um and so that was that was really wonderful. And I really enjoyed that experience. Um, but I like at the games, I, I felt like I was missing out on part of the college experience because like I would see my friends having this great time. And then like, I felt like I wasn't really a part of that. Um, and then, you know, just kind of rolling with the punches as like life hands you things. Um, I can't remember if it was after my first or my second semester, but at some point in my first year in Wyoming, um, Marsha Knight and Margaret Wilson, who um, Marsha just retired recently, and Margaret has since been promoted to um, the head of the Department of Theater and Dance there. But at the time, they were the head of like the dance department, and um, they again believed in me. They saw a lot of potential in me. So they said, if you, we know you're a dance minor, but if you consider switching to become a dance major, we'll give you a scholarship. And I, again, had no money saved for college. And I talked to my mom about this and she was like, Bridget, you can always become a teacher. Like there will always be a way for you to go back and become a teacher, but like this opportunity will only be here now. And so I did it. I switched to be a dance major. And that was that was another like pivotal moment in my like a life changing event for me, um, because, again, I started to think like maybe I'm good enough. Maybe I am good enough. Um, so I worked really hard in the Department of Theater and Dance, um, really loved my time there. We had a small program, smaller program, which was excellent because I got one on one attention. I had like management and leadership roles within the department that there's no way I would have had at a bigger school um, that again, still are like skills I'm currently using in my career. Um, like I, I was a uh, Marlo and I were both directors, Marlo Tanner, Tanner Henry, um, and I were co-directors of the summer dance festival, the snowy range summer dance festival where like students from all over Wyoming and the West come to study at 
the university and we put on this festival. And I learned like so many crazy skills there that still helped me in the industry um, and met a lot of like, you know, world-class dancers and directors and performers. And so um, I, I still speak so highly of Wyoming. Like I, it's just like such a, such a hidden gem. The amount, the, the quality of education for the cost is just unrivaled. Like, like you literally just cannot get that good of an education um, for, for the price. Um, and, and, and I was out of state. I had the like, it was, it was called like the Western Exchange yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So it wasn't full out of state, but like it was still more expensive than my friends from Wyoming were paying and yet still a huge deal. <laughs> um, so. Oh, I, oh I, I, well, I thought I was going to play football in college and I was never, I got recruited, but almost every coach was like, I thought you were taller. And I was like, ah, that's not going to happen. Like, I, <laughs> I didn't see a growth spread happening. Uh, and I, so I decided why I'm in last minute and it was kind of one of those, oh crap, now I got to use my brain. There's no more like football. Like there, mm -hmm. the goal was always just stay eligible. I wasn't always like trying to get the awesome grades. I, whatever it could to get into a college, I was doing that. And yeah. then I was like, oh, now I'm in college and I got this free time on my hand. Um, and like you talked about the small class size. I went into broadcasting my stepdad was big in it, but he kind of just like eased me in a little bit mm -hmm. and started me young. And it was like, I interned for UWTV as a freshman. And mm -hmm. by the time I was going to my second semester, I was like, yep, this is what we're doing. Sure. Um, and yeah, loved. I mean, I was putting on my hands on equipment that guys weren't putting their hands on our girls until their junior and senior years. And I'm doing it as a freshman sophomore and then by the time i'm a junior senior i'm like the best which is weird to say you know um yeah. but i was um yeah. and you know that led to being i'm hot shit i can go out to new york and do this and such a different world yes and um well i went into news there and my forte here was shooting sports and so i was learning to to shoot a lot different stuff and different ways uh but i had the skills to do it but also it was the subject matter was sometimes horrific because i was mm -hmm. covering news and mm -hmm. uh um got burned out and uh yeah. you know, it changed and i was married while i was out there and got was getting divorced and a job opened up the university of wyoming and once again you know it's one of those things where i knew i hated the university of wyoming because it dragged me out of uh gresham oregon because my stepdad got a job at the university and mm -hmm. then my mom got a job that we moved here and and you know i ended up going to college there we ended up working there for a while long time and i'm like wow yeah i love it i love the university of wyoming um and i yeah. relate to you being in wildfire and being on the sidelines i uh -huh. was on the sidelines for all the games for football um mm -hmm. especially like the my drinking years while well, i was drinking before that but least my, my drinking year and i would just be like oh, i want to do that and yeah. i this producer would be like okay you can take one game off a year but you still got to edit the highlights and i was like well no i'm then i'm not taking any games off like yeah. if yeah. they're going to be highlights i'll edit them but i was like no that doesn't work i want the full game off and the highlights off yeah and so i can go party it up but i found other ways to get that done you know and uh so but i knew when i moved back that um 
I was going to be a fan, like a tailgate. Mm -hmm. I was going to do everything. There's been opportunities where I could probably work in athletics again or do other stuff. And I was like, no, I'm a fan right now. Yeah. I want to, I want to stay that way. Um, Have some great group of people we tailgate with and sit with and, and everything. And being able to watch a game with the fan eyes instead of work eyes where I'm like, Oh, that was a great shot. You know, is, is good. is nice. And so, um, while you are, you know, go back to you at the University of Wyoming, and yeah. and I I vaguely remember when you guys directed the the Snowy Range, yeah, yeah, um, it was awesome. Yeah, it was pretty. Yeah, I mean, I probably didn't know about it until you guys directed it. Like I, I probably didn't pay much attention, uh, sadly enough. And now I, when it pops up, I'm always like, oh yeah, I remember that thing. And yeah. and so like, it is Wyoming, yeah affordable i try to tell my nephews and nieces and everybody that will listen to me that come to the university of wyoming mm-hmm. yeah I, you mm-hmm. know i live here so stuff goes wrong i'm always around um and then you probably can claim and stay it off me if you wanted to and mm-hmm. i was like and live like a king and get a great education yeah like, it's cheap the qual- like the quality of life is yeah. very affordable there um I learned this in my like, you know, 101 history class or whatever, but, um, you know, Wyoming is very rich in coal and cattle. So it's a very wealthy state, but like nobody lives there. So like university, it felt like for me at least, um, was like the pinnacle. Like that's where all of like the art and culture was happening. Like we went on tours all over Wyoming and all over the West. We would like take, you know, we'd produce our dance show in the spring or whatever. And then we'd get on a bus and like tour it around. And like, again, like I talked to professional dancers who've had similar careers to me who didn't have access to any of that um, in their youth. And so I I still think a lot of those experiences like are what helped me to succeed in an incredibly competitive industry. Um, And who would have thought that like from Wyoming, like Wyoming would have given me that, that little step up above the rest you know um yeah we have some great programs and i you yeah. know i don't even my major doesn't even exist at the university anymore weird broadcasting you think would be big these days nope doesn't yeah. exist i um, actually think i heard i heard that they were pulling some of the funding from theater and dance recently um because of the shift from coal to clean energy which politically i'm behind that um it did make me a little sad in my heart but, um, you know, uh, oh, I did want to mention, um, yeah. so Marsha, Marsha Knight was my, uh, faculty advisor, I think oh, yeah. advisor. And she was insistent that I take women's studies. And so as part of my like humanities classes, I took like three levels of women's studies. And so I'm, I very much identify like as a, like, hardcore feminist, like forward thinking, progressive woman. And it still surprises people when I tell them that like, I got that from Wyoming. Like that's where I learned feminism was from like one of the reddest, like most conservative states. Like that's where I learned to be a feminist. Um, And so I I still, I still like to just drop that little nugget on people because um, it, it truly, it is. That's where I, you know, I still, there are many things I took away from those women's studies classes that I'm, you know, I still believe in. And um, 
I took Again, one. Really changed changed the course of my life in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, so I took a women's studies class, yeah. and uh, yeah, I have three sisters, so a lot of it wasn't like totally blown out of the water. But I took it with a girl I was dating at the time. So okay. they would do a lot of, well, what does the couple think? And we were like, come on, <laughs> man. Like, you know, I, I, you know, I did well. Well, I have sisters. So it was never like, I'm, I'm, you know, a feminist or I'm pro, I'm pro equality. Yeah, exactly. And, That's all feminism is. It's just yeah. equality. Yeah. And I'm like, women make the same money. They can do the same jobs. I, um, I, I help women because they're people, not because they're just women. Yeah. Like, not because they're inferior by any means or anything like that. I would help out on doing the same, like equality. So I'm like equal pay, all that stuff. Because I've watched my sisters and mom be biased against because they are women. Or my mm -hmm. mom tells horrific stories of the 70s. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, that wasn't going to work for me. And uh I dated, yeah. I, I dated a few girls. Makes you an ally. We appreciate yeah. that. Thank I dated you. a few girls that were that were like the old school ways, and I was like, you know, I I I don't I don't see it. I see it as partnership, and that's fifty fifty. Not me pulling in the money, or that's just not that's archaic. That's weird. Yeah. And it's yeah. equal competition. Yeah, equal equal you know equal contributions by both people in the relationship. So. Uh, and now I have a very awesome, independent woman for a girlfriend. And I mean, it's hard to say weird to say girlfriend because we're 11 years. Um, she doesn't see her, Yeah, she doesn't want to see herself married. She never did. And she's built her last name. So I was like, yeah, that's cool. I, I'm good. I've been married once. You know, we don't have to change it. We're, I go, we're happy, right? She's like, oh, yeah, of course. And I was like, well, then we don't have to get married. And people are like, well, tell me she wants to get married. And I was like, no, she doesn't. Trust yeah. me, she does not, and I'm cool with it. So, stay out the business. Are <laughs> you good for yeah. you? And uh, and yeah, Wyoming being the equality state, which I say that too, but I also go, well, it kind of became that way because we need that girl to vote. Like, still yeah. we're treated terribly after that, but yeah. voting stuff. But yeah, the women's studies class, um, I was just maybe a little mortified, but with like birthing and and how the body changes and stuff. And so I'm very much like, oh my God, <laughs> choose to do that. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. Like, Definitely. yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, but I, I can't remember. Like, I hated the fact that I was in there with a the girlfriend and, and we didn't last or anything like that, but how's the couple feel? That was so, yeah. And the whole class is like 90% women. I mean, more than that. I was, yeah. there's probably maybe two or three guys in there. And so there'd be the guys that didn't have girlfriends and the me and the girlfriend. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm trying to learn. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you did. that's all that matters is you didn't, oh, you, yeah. didn't. you took away, you took away something from that, that class. So. Oh, I definitely. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Women are great. Love them. You know, <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, moving along. You're about yes. to graduate. You're going to graduate from the University of Wyoming. Uh huh. And did you so actually have a job lined up, or were you? Yeah, I did okay. kind of. So, um, so I I graduated in four years. Again, like paying my own way through college, like 
I worked multiple jobs in the summertime. I worked at the Laramie Rec Center, like right when oh, it nice. opened. That was dope. I really liked that job. Didn't pay very well, but I enjoyed it. <clears throat> um, so I, I was, even while working to maintain my scholarship, working to put myself through college. And um, I, um, I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, so so it was important to me that I graduate in four years because I just simply didn't want more debt. Like I was like eager to like really be in control of my finances and my future and in the workforce. So um, and again, I, you know, to dip back into that kind of feminism, um, you know, I, I was aware like on on my one side of my family, on my mom's side, I'm the only one of my cousins to have graduated college. Um, my mom went to college and one of my aunts did, it's a teacher and a nurse, but I am on that side of my family. I am the first woman that graduated college on my own career. Like I chose the career. Um, my grandpa was very old school and told my mom and my aunt that he'd pay for their college, but they had to be like a teacher, a nurse or a secretary, you know? So like it was... I felt like it was a, a privilege to be able to like study what I want to and like pick my own path. Um, and I, I still am very grateful for that. Um, and, and I'm proud of it too. My, I think, I don't think that either of my grandmothers graduated high school. I don't think that they even finished high school. So um, that still to me is important to like, just have the letters and the degree. Um, and so I, I wanted, I was finishing four years and Marsha and Margaret, Margaret had made me assistant director to her 10 year recital, which was my senior year. So I was assistant directed that show. And over the course of that, I remember her saying, like, you are a talented dancer. You are a good dancer, but I think that you have a future in directing and choreography. She was like, I, I think you have those skills. And again, that was a moment where somebody like saw something in myself that maybe I didn't see. And um, shout out to all the teachers out there, all the teachers out there making that difference. Um, so I, she suggested that I attend um, the American Dance Festival. I had throughout the course of my college years attended ACDF, which is the American College Dance Festival. And there are many ACDFs around the country, like regionally that happen. And then at those, you know, anybody can bring any kind of student or faculty dance and there's like hundreds of them and you take classes. And then there's always judges that pick like the top 10 for the final performance. And then of the top 10, they pick like one to three, they can pick one to three dances to go to nationals. My junior year, um, we hosted ACDF at the University of Wyoming. I still think it's probably the comparable to my wedding as the hardest I've ever worked in my life <laughs> um, in organizing. And I, I was like sitting on a student board at that time. And so I raised, I fundraised a bunch of money for that festival and at that festival. And I worked really hard and I was performing and taking classes and it was like, just go, 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 go. So we, one air quotes we won it's not really a thing in the performing arts but we got selected to perform at the kennedy center so i had that was kind of my first experience in the dance and performing world outside of these bubbles of like my studio life and my school life and um it was awesome i just like loved the 
the other dances and like being backstage with dancers from all over the country. And like, we had a dressing room in the Kennedy Center and like backstage passes and stuff. And it, it was really cool. It was a very cool experience. And, um, you know, with all of those experiences in mind, Margaret was really pushing me <clears throat> to go to the American Dance Festival, which is the like, then between college and professional, it's the more professional version. It's a, you know, a national, international festival of dance. And um, I applied and I, I needed a scholarship because it's kind of expensive and I didn't get the scholarship. And so I wasn't gonna go, I was gonna go back to Colorado and I was gonna work through the summer and I was getting my hair done the night before graduation. I was like getting the high, the like 90s, the early 2000s highlights like in my hair. And my phone rang from a weird number, my flip phone, and I flipped it open and it was someone from the American Dance Festival. And they were like, um, someone dropped out of the scholarship. We have one available for you. Do you still want to come? You would need to be here in two weeks. And I like didn't even need to think about it. I was like, yes, I'll be there. <laughs> and so I like bought my plane ticket and they paid for my tuition. And I got to study dance all summer long from literally the world's best dancers and teachers. And it I, I say that if heaven is not like ADF, I don't want to go. Like it, it was amazing. It was just truly a wonderful environment of like artists and dancers and creativity and open-mindedness. And it, it was just incredible, amazing. Um, I saw all the world's best dance companies, took classes from all the best teachers. Um, and again, I started, you know, there were, there's this, somewhat famous, I would say rather famous dancer in the modern dance world named Brenda Daniels. And the kind of like rumor that we all say about Brenda Daniels is she was so good that Merce Cunningham kicked her out. Like she was too good for his company, um, which I don't know how, how true that is. But, um, and Merce Cunningham, if you're not familiar, is a legend in modern dance and modern art. So, um, oftentimes re referred to as Cunningham and Cage. So Cunningham did dance and his partner, John Cage, made very avant-garde music in like the 60s through I'd say the 80s or the 90s. Um, so anywho, All right. I took classes from Brenda Daniels and I remember like through the course of the summer, one day Brenda was like, good job, Bridget. And I was like, oh my God, she knows who I am. She knows my name. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so I had such a great time there made really great friends, um, worked, worked my ass off, um, and then had lined up a job teaching at the Arts Center in Jackson Hole. So after ADF, I went back to Jackson Hole, Wyoming for a year. I taught every kid in that town ballet and dance, um, both in residencies at schools and um, at the dance center. And then I performed a little bit in um, the small modern dance company there. I think it was called Contemporary Dance Wyoming. And I really loved Jackson Hole, but it just didn't feel right. Like I felt like I wanted more. Like dating there was hard. It's all like mountain bro bros. Um, all anybody ever cared about was the pow pow. And like, I like to ski. I'm from Colorado. I'm a skier. I don't hate, but like, They'd be like, it's a pow pow day, blow off your job. We're going up the mountain. And I'd be like, no, I can't do that. Like I have a real job. <laughs> um, so um, 
I again applied and I, I had proven myself at ADF so that the next summer they were like, pick what job you want and it's yours. And so I wanted to be a counselor for the younger students so I could get free room and board and free tuition. So I went back the second summer and by that time I had it more in my head that, you know, I was in these workshops and classes and was like, if you're in New York, like I'm a better dancer than you are. Like I could be in New York. Like if you're working professionally, why can't I? And so um, moved back to Denver for a short time, worked again in the school district, saved some money, lived at home. That sucked <laughs> after, after being an adult. Um, but it was, you know, my parents were very supportive and I saved money for about nine months and then did like the very idealistic, iconic thing of bought a one-way ticket, packed a bag and moved, moved my ass to New York. And I, I thought that I would be there for like two years. I thought I would go and like learn some shit and make some connections and then like have that name as a New York dancer. And then I would come back to like Colorado and run a dance program at a school or something. And I fell in love with New York. I loved it. There's, um, we lived in different parts of New York. You oh, lived yeah. in Long Island and I lived in Manhattan. And so very different. Um, yes. New York City is not for everybody. I fully recognize that and I realize that. Um, and there was a learning curve for sure. There were a few months that it was really hard. Um, and it was always hard. It was always hard living there. Like you, you know, the phrase, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Like it's real. That's a real thing. Yeah. Um, but I, f I found and I still find um, that there is a sense of like freedom that you have in New York because it is so busy and there's everything there and there's so many people and there's so much happening all the time that you really can like be your truest authentic self. And because there's so many people and so much happening, like nobody gives a shit about you. <laughs> and that also is very freeing. Sure. Like you can just be your craziest, weirdest self. And that's like not even close to the weirdest thing anybody's seen today. Um, very true. Very true. <laughs> so I, I still, I still love that about New York. It's like, you know, like the buzz in the air. I feel like that's, it's part of that. And, um, and I, I just, I loved it. I lived there for 13 years. Um, I do consider myself to be a New Yorker. I paid an enormous amount of taxes to the city and state of New York for 13 years. Um, yeah. I can put my liquid eyeliner on on a moving subway and a rat ran across my barefoot. So I am a fucking New Yorker. Um, yeah. Um, wow. you know, some, some people might have other, other things to say about that, but I consider myself a New Yorker. So, um, so I, you know, I moved there to be a dancer and yeah. I, um, like everybody else, became a bartender, worked in the service industry to support that, um, saw some really crazy shit, did yeah. some really crazy nightclubs and experiences like you, like TV doesn't even do it justice. Um, <laughs> but that allowed me to really be a professional dancer. I, you know, went to the big auditions. Um, I had a lot of trouble with the big Broadway auditions. They're just like really highly competitive. And I started to find that at those big open calls for like the big Broadway shows, they weren't looking for me. They already had a white girl who could do what I could do. That was my size, who could do it better than me. So I started to realize that if I found like the niches where I was the other, then I had more success. So I, um, <clears throat> 
I got a big contract in a circus in Abu Dhabi. So I did six wow. months. I lived in Abu Dhabi and I was in a circus and I was like, we were on like billboards. And again, we were like kind of famous. Like people knew us. We'd go out yeah. you know, on our days off and they'd be like, I know you, you're in the show. <laughs> like, um, it was kind of like a Cirque du Soleil-esque. Um, oh, I'm sure it was Ferrari. amazing. It was at Ferrari World Abu Dhabi. Um, really, really crazy living in the Middle East as a Western woman. Very, very educational experience. Actually. Um, wouldn't trade it. Don't know if I'd repeat it. Um, I'll say yeah. But I am very grateful for the job that I had there. My job was was really great and really fun. And I, I knew at the minute I showed up, I was like, this is going to be a once in a lifetime. Like, this is awesome. Um, came back from that. Some of my friends, uh, I shortly before I went on that, I was in um, I was in a small modern dance company. We performed at Jacob's Pillow, which is another really famous dance festival. So that was really cool. I was happy to be able to do that. Um, I, a friend of mine that I met at ADF, a few of my friends had moved to New York. Also my bestie from like studio days, Andrea Palish had moved to New York. So I had this like network of like my best friends that were also dancers. And we all like, that's always how we all found jobs was like, oh, I know, I know somebody. Oh, I got this thing. Are you interested? Like very much that like who, you know, situation. So I'm very grateful to all of those people and they're all still like my besties. Um, they're all bridesmaids in my wedding and shit. Um, and so one of them was Indian and had done like the So You Think You Can Dance in India, which is huge, like way bigger than it is here. Um, Anjali is her name, Anjali Bhattacharya. And she came back and had known, you know, made connections with like the network producers there and convinced them to do a like Bollywood meets America, like TV special. Oh. So I was in the America team and we did like a contemporary dance and a musical theater and a modern dance. And then there was a Bollywood company that did like, you know, more classical Indian and contemporary Indian styles. And we were all in this like, you know, one time kind of like pop-up show. Awesome. And then I went to the Middle East. I came back from the Middle East and that Bollywood company was starting an international tour and needed more dancers. So a week before the tour, I got hired to go on tour with them. Toured internationally for about a year with Mystic India, it's called. Wow. Really, really crazy. So, such a crazy time in my life. Um, I had never done Indian dance. I just like learned this new style and all these new dances like on the spot dyed my hair black like oh wow put on the bindi and the tika and the dupata and like all their traditional clothing and like masqueraded as an indian dancer and um it, it was a multicultural group we were all from all over america and we toured internationally went to china south africa um Canada, all over America. Um, so did a lot of like professional touring like that. And again, like that's where I like found my niche was like, uh, I'm, I'm different here and that is more valuable. Um, I was in like a Turkish musical that was in a huge Broadway theater, um, sold out the Beacon Theater in New York, very uh -huh. famous theater. Um, like Dave Matthews was there the night before us. I was in like the same dressing room that Dave Matthews had, you know. Um, 
So I know the I, beacon. I know the beacon. Yeah. 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 So I, I had, That's I had a great a recordings of- came out of there and now you've danced there. That's awesome. Yeah. I still have my backstage passes right over there. Um, but I, you know, I, I say like, I, I, have a professional career I toured internationally like I performed in some of the biggest theaters in the world but and I and I was on Broadway like the the Beacon Theater is on Broadway like um but nobody ever knows the shows I was in so that's kind of you know a a funny little little thing we're not as cultured here out in the west still New Yorkers are yeah and then Um, um right before COVID I had a a drop like two more things in my resume and then, and then we'll get to the current day. But um, right before COVID, I auditioned and made it as an extra for American Ballet Theater, which is the arguably best dance company on the planet. And so I was an extra in a ballet show at the Lincoln Center and um, danced in the Metropolitan Opera House, got a paycheck cut to me from the Metropolitan Opera, like awesome. literally the dream, like that is, like is there's not anything bigger than that. Um, and so that was truly amazing. I was like on stage with like Misty Copeland and all of these very world famous dancers and it was incredible. Um, the costumer was like, oh, your costume is from the Bolshoi. And I was like, what? That's amazing. Um, and so that, that was definitely a highlight as well. And throughout the course of all of that, all of these were like non-union performing jobs. And I started to realize like what Margaret had told me at the University of Wyoming was sticking with me. That was like, this guy's directing this huge international tour and he sucks at it. Like he's dropping all the balls. Like I learned all of these things at the University of Wyoming running the dance festival and being Margaret's assistant director. And so like, this was in the back of my mind and the opportunity fell in my lap to start my own company which I did with Andrea Palish. So I still run that dance company based out of New York. Um, We are called GPC Entertainment. We too have built ourselves to touring internationally. We went to Belize and the Bahamas and performed in Denver and all over the East Coast. And it's like a variety cabaret show um, kind of, you know, not your like seven o'clock booking necessarily, but like your nine o'clock. It's a little more like you know, cursing and adult jokes. And, um, and so that's kind of like, that's my passion project. I run that business still, um, plug, plug, check us out, (laughs) GPC entertainment. Um, and then we, so we were invited to perform also at the Lincoln center at a festival, a dance festival in January of 2020. And, we it went great there were like booking agents that were interested in us um some people from the joyce theater were speaking with us if you're not familiar the joyce theater is also one of those like epically world famous dance venues um for more like concert dance um contemporary modern dance situation and then covid hit (laughs) and covid just crippled my industry um and i lost all my jobs i was i was like freelancing i was bartending i was teaching fitness at some pretty high-end gyms i had some high-end clients um i was teaching at broadway dance center which is like kind of the 
you know, again, one of the best yeah. on the planet. Um, and all of that, I mean, like overnight just disappeared, gone. I was managing a theater in Midtown, immediately closed its doors, like done, gone forever. Um, so I was unemployed. Pandemic continued to roll out as the way it was. I had some savings, but it was like I was going to have to drain my savings to stay in New York. And it was unclear, like, what would happen to my industry and to New York as a whole. It was really intense living in New York during COVID. Um, I happened to be in Colorado for the first part of it, visiting family for my cousin's bachelorette party. And um, so I got stuck in Colorado for three months with a bag packed for a bachelorette party in Vegas. So I literally like didn't have anything. I didn't have my computer. I had to like go to Costco and buy like clothes and underwear and shit. Um, and again, was like living at home with my parents as like a 35 year old adult. Um, so COVID continued to pan out. I couldn't afford to keep my Manhattan apartment. They had the, they had the nerve to raise my rent during COVID. Asshole. And I was like, no, I'm out, bye. Um, so I kind of just packed my shit into storage and was like, I'm just going to roll with the punches. And my long-term boyfriend, I think we had been together for five years at that point. He also, he worked in the service industry. He was like pretty high up um, managing the rainbow room, which you. Oh, I'm yes, 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 yes. Um, so I had some, some really great memories from that place too. Got to do some really cool stuff there um, on the VIP list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So he also was like out of a job and his uncle owns um, a successful construction business in DC. So he was like, I'm out, I'm going to DC. And I was like, go, I'm not going to the South, goodbye. <laughs> and then COVID continued to pan out. And I, you know, there was a point where I was like, I don't know where I'm going to go. And we were still talking and he was like, well, would you consider coming to DC? And I was like, yeah, fuck it. Like, I don't know where I'm going to go. So, um, so I moved to DC during COVID and, um, I worked as a production after, you know, I was on unemployment for a little while and then I got a job as a production manager at a children's theater, um, which was cool. I had done some producing again in my own, my own dance company. I did a lot of, a lot of producing, a lot of behind the scenes in the building of content and company. Um, I also worked on a magic show. I was a director producer on a magic show with like an old guy who was a magician and I was his assistant on stage, but then I was like running the shit off stage. Did um, they ever cut you in half? He did okay, three pieces cool. actually in three nice. pieces. He cut me in three pieces and then he put me back together. That was called the zigzag. Like it. And I also disappeared. I disappeared and reappeared. Cool. Yeah. And then, and then I also quite literally pulled the strings on many of the tricks from backstage. Like it like really made the tricks happen. Mm -hmm. um, so that was cool. Um, but I had a lot of production experience from that. And so I was a production manager at this children's theater and turns out I really hated it. <laughs> like it was more just the business side and uh -huh. budgeting and not really the art side. Um, and so about a year ago, an opportunity came up because all the while, all the while since my college years, I have been teaching dance to children of all ages. When I was in New York, I taught at the UN. Um, I taught at some private French, French schools and Jewish schools and daycares and 
all over the city. Um, I was teaching and dance studios. Some of my friends from Wyoming would like fly me out to teach at their dance studios, like in Casper and Rollins and things. Um, so about a year ago, a opportunity, I interviewed to, um, be a dance teacher, a full-time dance teacher at a charter school and I got the job. So for the last year I ran a built and ran a performing arts program for 250 students ages three to 14 at, um, like an inner city um charter school and um that has been very challenging but very rewarding and um i've been on summer break i go i have one more week left of summer break i go go back to school um that's been really awesome education is a diff difficult field for sure um but i'm these kinds of jobs of like running dance programs are rather uncommon and they're also highly competitive because there's like a lot of people again same thing a lot of people who do what i do um yeah. like me and do what i do um so i feel very lucky to to have this job and um it is one of those things that my like new york resume my new york skills like really speak bigger outside of new york you know like even in new york like i had a pretty impressive resume and career um but like the more I step out in New York, the further that goes. Um, oh, your your resume is amazing, and <laughs> the opportunities you. that came along, and you didn't, I mean, hesitate. And and I've learned a lot about dance in this one, but just just where to go, what to do. I mean, you know, it's I understand the industry where you know it's who you know too. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of time because i mean that's how i got my job in new york not through my broadcasting stepdad it was through my dad who happened to know people in the other corporations and next thing on my resume is there um but yeah because you kind of like well everybody can do what i do but you I, I don't know if they could say that if like you were to start another you know dance company or or, or teach kids and they look at your resume and they, they they're just like yeah well how are you on the spot how much money you want to make you know like because yeah. you've done it you've definitely, I mean, there's probably lots more life to live, but you've, you really got after it, you know, in your twenties and thirties and, and to keep after it, after an industry, which, you know, some people are, are no longer in theater and dance. Um, yeah. most people in broadcasting that I went to school with, I don't think one of them's in that world of broadcasting right now. Um, I mean, I do this kind of stuff, but, um, it, it's, and to be like, yeah, even a girl from Colorado, slash chicago yeah. you know did this you know went to the university of wyoming like i mean so many people should be listening to this podcast like i, I hope they are right now <laughs> i'm gonna share it i'm gonna share it with everybody it is, it is a, a it's an inspirational tale i mean because you along the way you're like i didn't really believe in myself like i didn't really i really want to do this but i didn't have that positive affirmation from people until you know high school and later in life and they saw it in you gave you opportunities and and you ran with them like yeah. so you make me feel happy to be uh, you know uh, an alumni of yours that's from the yeah. university of wyoming you know yeah. you know um likewise and congrats to you for like also taking that leap to go to the east coast you know i think um i think it, it's you know americans we we live a pretty easy life you know i've, I've toured i've yeah. seen a lot of the world a lot of the world in a lot of america and um 
for the most part, Americans live a really like comfortable life. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But um, I think a lot of people get stuck in that and forget to see that like taking risks can really expand your horizons. And um, so kudos to you for going to Long Island for the amount of time. That well, you did. I also had connections there um, for the prior four years. I think I'd worked at a summer camp in upstate New York. So oh, yeah. I'm very comfortable with the people. Yeah. So going there instead of being like, oh, it's either New York or LA in my business, like mm-hmm, I, I think New York was kind of like, well, I, at least I know people there mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I wouldn't be me without me. I don't know if I could move back. Um, I would prefer, I wish I would have gone and lived in Manhattan and kind of done your thing more than uh, being married and stuff like I, I wish I would have experienced New York differently. You still um, can. Yes. You still can. I have you lots of great friends there. there. Lots of great friends there. Uh, I try to get back when I can. They say not near enough. And you say that they kind of live an easy life. I always tell them, I'm like, there's something about wide open spaces and mountains, man, that makes you live longer. You got to come back. And they're like, I couldn't leave my family. I was like, Snapchat, all these things. You can still connect to the family. There's flights that go back and forth. But I'm telling you, wide open space. I mean, it's good for your head. And I remember moving back and and being in Nebraska and watching the mountains drive and wires up in the horizon. Yeah. It's just like home, like yep. home. And I do miss the mountains. I do. I do always miss the mountains. Um, I, I feel very lucky, though, that I get to and, and maybe you I would venture to say you probably share the same feeling that like living on the East Coast, I feel very lucky that I get to go back to Colorado. Oh, yeah. yeah. For holidays and things like it, I, I always feel like it'd be so sad if I like I had if I was going back to like Kansas City or something <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah, like yeah. I, I feel I've always felt very lucky that I get to like go back to this like you know world-class beautiful destination place now aurora colorado sure. not not hey, the destination but not it's everyone in knows. colorado not everyone <laughs> knows about aurora no uh <laughs> oh i thought i was only gonna live in laramie five years when i moved back from new york that was my mentality of i can go i'm going back to the west coast and that day has not come yet and i doubt yeah. it ever will until i retire uh but yeah it's uh i I, st- I still lock my doors. I still lock my cars. You can't take yeah. me to work out of me at all. Um, but I, yet yeah, it was a great experience because I knew I had to get out and I didn't want to go to Denver. I just had to get out. And uh, my mom raised explorers. We all kind of took off after we could. And yeah. Um, awesome. so, yeah, it's, it wasn't uncommon, but I'm always shocked that other people don't make those leaps. And like you said, you've been around the country and, and you're like, well, you know, people are, are go to high school here, go to college nearby. I'm going to come back and I'm going to die here. I'm like, interesting yeah. life, but it probably doesn't make my podcast. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and that works. That works for yeah. many people. I, there's no like hate in that. You got to like follow yeah. your own path. But like, I did have some cousins like in my early like touring and performing days that would yeah. always be like, really salty they'd be like oh well lucky you that's so, it must be so nice to get a to be able to travel and i'm like we have the same upbringing like this is literally the only difference is choices like yeah. i made choices to go and do these things like you could also <laughs> yeah um oh yeah you followed your dream i mean yeah. and it, it like didn't necessarily 
it didn't necessarily be like it's you, if you don't make this one part of the dream it's all or bust because you've explored all parts of it and people said you're good at this you're like okay maybe i'll try that out well yeah. maybe i'll go down that path that sounds good uh one last question for you and i ask yeah. it of everyone on the show since it's called all my friends with justin flaskard how'd we meet <laughs> you know i was thinking about that um <laughs> I, I think that I met you at Lovejoy's through Marlo. I think um, in the in the like Wyoming party scene, uh, I think was it like Tuesday nights or Thursday nights? There was a night that was like bumping at Lovejoy's and right by the train tracks. Mm. I, is it still there? Does Lovejoy's still exist? Oh yeah, oh yeah, ah, amazing. Um, yeah, so we you know I I think because we knew you yeah or. Again, I, I I knew a lot of basketball and football players, and they would kind of had that like star status a little bit in town. Uh -huh. And so I do, I do very much remember like sneaking in through the kitchen underage into uh -oh. love shows. That's probably and, me. Yeah, I, I I think you probably had something to do with that too. Um, and so yeah, that's definitely that's definitely where we met. And I remember like getting the dance floor started. That it yeah. was like uh -huh. okay, like we're here to dance. Um, and train shots. I remember train shots. It was probably Thursday nights because that uh -huh. was eight dollar pitchers. Oh yeah, yes uh, it was. Long it Island, was. Sarah Michelle's. I drank Jack and Jack. Do not drink Jack anymore. Yeah. Um, uh, but eight dollars and normal yeah. people, you know, probably split them with their friends. I learned how to drink full one multiple times a night. Um, I do. Now that you said that, I remember like a Long Island pitcher with like oh, Marla yeah. and I, like Lady in the Tramping, like two straws, you know? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, there are countless pictures of people doing that. I, I know I'm in a few with with people, you know, and I'm like, well, now I drink Pomelon all by myself um, because I just don't want to get up from yeah. my DJ spot at Lovejoy's. Uh, we went there not too long ago. I took a friend back that uh, had been here during the DJ Rude years, and he was just like, wow, you know, not a lot has changed, but a lot has changed. It's a new ownership now. Um, okay. A guy named Justin Taylor, he had been around on uh, Laramie scene for a long time, general managers everywhere. So he's living his dream of owning a restaurant. Yeah. And I uh, saw him the other day. Um, yeah, and everyone saw I walk in. They don't have the pictures, like the, the photographs on the wall like they used to. Uh, okay. Those are all down. Um, cause I could be up like, that's me. That's me and to impress uh, like, nephews and stuff like that. They're like, wow, you, you were a celebrity a little bit. And I was like, yeah, no, not yeah, as much as totally were. other people. It was interesting. Cause I was like, you were a celebrity and you got to, you know, uh, more than I ever was. I was just a small town DJ that got recognized maybe at a football game or, um, the weird recognizes a dancer though that's like it's not like music celebrity or like actor or anything like, yeah you know we're, we're we're kind of uh not necessarily behind the scenes but you know yeah exactly it, the star it takes <laughs> such physical physical prowess to do what you do so you should be recognized just as much as an athlete thank you um, thank you i consider myself an athlete oh yeah i mean People looking at the picture, she's jacked. She's she flexes every <laughs> once in a while. You know, you could tell that she uh still uses every part of her body to teach and and dance and stuff for being one that wasn't good at baseball and softball. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. I found I found where where my skills were. Yeah, and I bet those kids can't do what you do now. So you're good. And I did, you know, I do to be fair, 
I know you you are like the team sport jock, but yeah. you I do like swim. I do single sports. I like skate. I swim. I ski. Like the single sports are my vibe. Like I box a little bit. You know, like that's yoga, dance. Those that's my like wheelhouse. Throwing and catching. That's where my skills stop. <laughs> yeah, I was football player and I ski raced. I was on. Oh, we had a racing team. Yeah. Where uh, did you ski? What's that? Where, Where did you ski? School? We skied in high school. Which mountain did you go to? Uh, well, Snowy Range was our okay. back door. Gotcha. But competing around the state, you know, we Jackson, Casper, Cody. I think Cody went to Red Lodge. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd gr- grown up skiing in Oregon on Mount Hood. And oh. it was such wet snow. And I've been moving here. And Powder was just like float, skiing in the cloud. And I was oh, like, wow. Man. And my stepsister, older stepsister, she skied at the high school in Oregon. So my dad was like, well, you're a pretty good skier. And I basically did it for another sport. I didn't, I skied against guys that were like all year ski camps. Like that was their sport. And I was athletic enough to be like number six, not number one, but number six or number yeah, five. That's still really impressive. And yeah, it was fun. And so, but yet everybody was always like, God, you big old offensive lineman skiing down the hill, like a big old bear. And <laughs> I was just like, my coach was always worried, you know, that I, my football coach was, I was going to, but I had a head ski coach that was a seventh grade football coach and an amazing skier and amazing coach. So I was in good hands. Like I was in yeah. good hands. He wasn't going to destroy my knees or anything like that. So um, yeah, it was, it was fun. I haven't skied in a long time. Uh, moving just, to New York and there was no good skiing out West. Oh yeah. East. The, East, the East coast is yeah. just my, again, my husband is from upstate New York yeah. and um, he, he was like a big snowboarder, like growing up. Yeah. And so when we first started dating, like I went to Woodstock with him and I like, I've been there. really yeah. great place. Um, but he'd be like, oh, these are our mountains. And I'd be like, mm, sure. Mm-hmm cute and he was like really offended by this he was like you're being such a bitch and then like and then i you know after a few months of dating i brought him to colorado to ski and we were like not even halfway up the mountain we like stopped to like get gear and we were still like going further up yeah. and he was on the phone talking to his friend and he's like yo bro like i thought we knew mountains but we don't know mountains like you gotta get here this place is crazy yeah. <laughs> so, I, well it's like when i, I worked my the summer camp I worked at was in the Catskill Mountains, as I use my air quotes. <laughs> and true. I remember- mountains, they are mountains. They're just older. So they're like they're like eroded to like nubs. Oh, okay. There were great mountains at one time, I guess. Well, not in my <laughs> lifetime. I remember standing there and I was like, Where are these Catskill Mountains you guys talk of? And they're like, You're on them. And I was like, Oh, right, right, right. Okay. <laughs> Where I live, this is called a hill. Foothill, a foothill. Yeah, I was like, um, where they're like, where do you live? I'm like, Wyoming, and we have the Rocky Mountain. Like, I live in a valley surrounded by mountains. They're like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, and it's 7,200 feet above sea level. So, bring an oxygen tank if you come to visit because, yeah, and and Denver's like 5,000 something, it's mile high. And I'm like, yep, that down there, you, you lowlanders down in Denver. (laughs) Yep, yep, absolutely, absolutely. I want to thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. It was so nice to catch up with you and just talk about the why, like Wyoming and stuff. I being on the East Coast, I 
again, maybe you, you experienced this, but sometimes when I say Wyoming, people will be like, oh, is that in Montana? I'll be like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> I want to thank Bridget for being on the show. She was such a great guest. And who knew? The girl I met at Lovejoy's, probably drinking a picture with our friend Marlo, would turn into a world-traveling dancing machine that has performed, directed, worked in so many great venues around the world with so many talented people. And she's a University of Wyoming alumni. Go Pokes. On to the next episode. All my friends, all my friends, all my friends with Justin Flaskerud. All my friends, all my friends, all my friends with Justin Flaskerud.